The parasha begins with uh, three words. Tyra begins with the three words, Bereshis bara alekim. The Gemara Masatis Megillah, which you may recall, if you're learning Daf um, Shavuot together with us, it was a little while ago. The, it, it says a story on Daf Tesamid Alf, and it tells us how in, it was about 330 BCE, that on Ches Teves, the eighth day of Teves, Talmei HaMelech, that's how he's known in Hebrew, or Ptolemy in, in English, ordered the Chachamim to appear before him. And he gathered 72 Tamid Chachamim, biggest sages in, 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 that existed at the time, and he placed them into 72 separate rooms. Each one was in his own room, or his own house, it seems. Uh, totally separated from the other ones. There was absolutely no communication between them, and he didn't even tell them why he was assembling them. So they had no way of talking, of communicating, of understanding why they were there. And then he went into each room individually and he commanded each one of them to translate the Torah from Hebrew to Greek, which ultimately yielded the Septuagint, which still exists today. If you're familiar with Rabbi Ari Kaplan's translation of the Torah, it's called the Living Torah, uh, he draws heavily on the Septuagint on, in his translation. Now, the fact that he placed them in separate rooms like this shows that he didn't trust them. And what he expected was that he thought they would deliberately hide the meaning of many parts of the Torah because the Torah was a secret up to that point. Torah Shabbat was never translated in a way to make it easily accessible to all the nations of the world. And they fig- he figured they would make a fake translation. So this way he thought he would have 72 independent translations of the Torah and then he would cross-reference them. So if anybody was trying to pull something on him, not all of them would be able to pull something on him and it would, their, their, you know, their, their uh, deception would, would come through. Now, if you think for a moment the position they were put into, just think of how impossible this task is. Every word in the Torah has multiple layers of meaning. There are psukim that can be totally translated in very, very different ways to mean totally different things. Even the Pashib Shat, forget the Remish, the Remish Drash site and all the other parts of the Torah, but even in Pashib Shat there are so many different ways which are all true and they actually mean more than one thing. So you have these Talmud Chachamim, you know, who, who are faced with translating the Torah, which is so deep and so rich and so full of illusion, right? You have the Shiraz Hazinu that we just uh, learned that the Talmud Chachamim have many different ways of approaching it. Is it talking about Kali Yisrael? Is it talking about the Umas Ha'ilam? And so on and so forth. So how would they make that decision and then guess how all 71 of their colleagues are going to make the same decision to translate in the same way? And if any one of them translates it other different than the other ones, then he's going to show them up and he'll likely punish them. But more than that, it'll be a chalajem, you're trying to deceive us. And uh, if they say, well, it's really a machlaikis, it's a disagreement, then that'll then they'll say, okay, then you guys you don't you know what you're talking about. And you just think about it, even when I was trying to figure out how to translate the words balakaychis and balaychilis kulam, it's very hard to translate those words into English. I mean, literally, it means the owner or possessor of all abilities and powers, but that doesn't translate well. It's a weak translation. It doesn't convey the true meaning. So when going translating from Tyra to another language, there are all these words in Lush and Kaidish that seem repetitious, and it's very hard to find a good correlating word in another language. So they were, they were faced with a very difficult uh, task, which at the very least was, was almost impossible. And to add to that, the Chachamim didn't want to translate the whole Torah exactly as it is because they knew that translating the whole Torah as it is would lead to more kfira, lead to achil Hashem. They had to change certain words and certain terms so that to, to, to protect the Torah from being ridiculed by the non-Jews or to use it as a proof that idolatry is true. And that would create a tremendous, tremendous achil Hashem. So how could they possibly 
change verses, deliberately change verses, and then expect all 71 of them to do the identical change. Right? Impossible. So it, was, it required an ace, and that is what happened. There was, Hashem granted them Ruach HaKadosh and Siyat and so much so that they were able to be confident that all of them would write the same thing. And miraculously, each one translated the Torah exactly as others did. There was no discrepancy between them. And even in the places where they deliberately translated it wrong, they all translated it the exact same way, incorrectly. And this was a miracle, uh, and a Kiddush Hashem. Yet, uh, it is considered a dark day for Klal Yisrael, and it's one of the reasons we fast on, on, on Asar Abitev is because this, this was, did, it dishonored the Torah. It lowered it, and it put it in the hands of all the people that now mock the Torah and, you know, the Bible critics and etc. Now, what's interesting to us here, what's relevant to Bracious, is that the Gemara lists out all the places where they saw fit to alter the wording of the Torah and uh, translation. And some of them are, are humorous, although they're essentially sad. Like, for example, one of them was the word Arneves, which is, uh, means a rabbit, and it's one of the, the behemoth Timaeus in the Torah, one of the non-kosher beasts. They had to change it because uh, Ptolemy's wife her name was Arnevis, and he would suspect them of mocking him by putting his wife's name in the Tyra, and particularly in a place where it's talking about the non-kosher animals. Uh, and it's just funny when you think about it, because that means they all would have... Uh, he didn't know about the miracle, right? So they, he, he would have thought that they all came up with this same mockery to mock him by putting in uh, you know, Arnevis instead, instead of... Uh, as his wife's name, instead of whatever it actually says there. It's kind of hard to believe. But regardless, he did think so, and they all worried about that. Clearly, it was a problem. So that was the length of, the, the extent of his, the way he was looking to trap, trip them up. So they had to substitute the word Arnevis for something else. Um, but the first change that they made in the Torah is quite illuminating, and that's what we wanna, I want to discuss today. They changed the order of the first three words of the Torah. Our version is, Bereshith, Baralakim, in the beginning Hashem created. They changed it to, Elikim bar bracious. Hashem created in the beginning. Elikim bar bracious. Why did it have to make that change? Because the way our version has it, bracious bar Elikim, it can be misconstrued to mean that bracious is the name of a deity. Chas So they could, he would have understood it. Bracious, the deity named bracious bar Elikim, created God, right? And that's really what all the nations of the world were struggling heavily with: was idolatry and and. You know, that monotheism just wasn't the thing. So they were looking for the, every opportunity to stick in uh, dual, uh, dual deities into the Torah. And if were they to have written, that would offer an opportunity to prove idolatry to be true. To, they would misinterpret it that way. So they all simultaneously, Ruch HaKadosh, switched it to Alekim, Bar Breshis HaKadosh Baruch who created in the beginning. Now this difference is very illuminating on the fundamental divide between Jews and non-Jews. And it exists until today. For Kla Yisrael, Torah brings, begins with Bracious. For the Umas Ailam, for the nations of the world, it begins with Eli Kim. Why? So I saw this explained by Rav Shimshon Pinkas at Salon. It's a beautiful explanation. It's a beautiful lesson in what Amunapshuta means. Simple faith, right? We always say, simple faith, he's a Munapshuta, he's a Baal Munapshuta, he believes with simplicity. He says, we misunderstand what that means, simple faith. We think it means uh, believing, unquestioning, non intellectually. Right? He says it's not what it means. He says, non-intellectualists, we're the most intellectual people in the world. We question everything. There's nothing we just take for granted. We question, we try to understand, we divide, we dissect, and we develop every single facet of Yiddishkeit. What does Amun Pshuta really mean? 
He says, Amunah Pshuta means simple, unadulterated faith, which means we don't la- allow our faith, our belief, our core values to become corrupted by silly questions or philosophies and doubts. So as an example, he says, you're having a discussion with someone and there's this beautiful building you went to see, wonderful architecture, and you start talking with the person and you say, you know, uh, this is like amazing architecture. Who built this building? Who came up with this concept? Who, who envisioned this? Like, it's so, you know, out of this world. And the other fellow says, well, in fact, how do you even know a human being built this building? You're making an assumption. Like, how do you even know that? Who, who said a person built this building? Maybe it kind of like came together on its own. Maybe, uh, you know, other beings built it. Maybe aliens built it. So at that point, you abandon the discussion because like, you're just not on the same page. If he wants to start you know, deliberating whether it was built by human beings, you leave him to his deliberations and you continue the conversation with someone else. Your conversation begins with the assumption that a human being built the building and then you'll start talking about who it was. Uh, let's, uh, let's take an example in learning Torah. You're learning with someone. You're learning with a chavrusa. You have a teacher. Two people are trying to learn a Rashi together. They're learning Rashi, Alatayra, a Rashi, and Gemara. And they have a problem with this Rashi. And what the Rashi is saying seems to be contradicted by the simple words of the text, of the Pasuk, of the Gemara. There's an open contradiction, and Rashi is very hard to understand. So you're trying to figure out what Rashi might mean. And then the other person says, one second, maybe Rashi made a mistake. He's human, right? Maybe he made a mistake. Why are we wasting our time trying to figure out what he means? Maybe it's a mistake. The whole thing is a mistake. So at that point, you say, you close your Gemara, you close your Chumash, and you say, you know what? We're not ready to learn together. I'm operating on a different fundamental principle than you, right? I have an Amun Pshuta that Rashi doesn't make mistakes. Now, that Amun Pshuta is based on a strong Messiah. It's based on our exposure to Rashi and the rest of Shas and the rest of the Torah, his an unbelievable brilliance, right, and his unbelievable clarity. And, and that's only what we are able to even conceive and, and, and understand of his, you know, uh, 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 of the depth of Rashi when we know that it's way more than we can conceive. So our Amunah Pshuta, which means our simple unquestioning because we're beyond questions already. It's become so simple and so clear to us that we're not, we just don't question it anymore. It's, not, it's beyond that already. We've gotten to the point where there's no need to question that. And every discussion that we have begins after that fact. That's Amunah Pshuta. And if the person has an issue with that, so then, okay, let's stop learning and let's work through your issues. But the, the, for us, it, it, you know, the, we, we just don't have a way to talk to that person. We don't have a way to learn with that person. The, those things have to be dealt with before. That's what Amunah Pshuta means. Amunah Pshuta means that our belief of, uh, of, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not simple, unquestioning faith. We clarify it. It's incumbent on every Jew to understand why he believes, how he believes, what, what's the reason for his belief, what our Messiah is. Every Jew has to do that and then get to the point where it's pshuta. We don't ask questions anymore. It's not, it's not the question anymore. It's not the issue. It's not on the table. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world. It's like debating whether the sky is blue for us. So for us, Rav Shemshin Pinker says, he says it beautifully. He says, for us, the Torah begins with the letter Bays. Because the Aleph is already assumed. It begins with Bez because we know Aleph already. Aleph is a Kaddish Baruch who exists. Aleph is a Kaddish Baruch who exists, uh, created the world. The Torah begins with Bez. That, that's, that's the pre-existing concept. That's the Hanacha, as you say when you're learning Torah. We know that already. We don't need to be explained that. We don't need to be demonstrated that. For us, the question is, how did Hashem create the world? What did He create first? What was the order of creation? That's all we want to know. So for us, the Torah begins with Bereshis Bar Elikim, because that's the question we're looking to answer. What came first? The Bereshis, Kaddish Baruch created first. That's the Shemayim, that's But for the non-Jews, 
they have questions about everything. Nothing is clear for them. They're deliberating, they're, they're doubting, and for them, we just have to be very clear. We have to start from Aleph. Alekim, Barbara says, know that there is a God. HaKadosh Baruch created the world, and the, the, God is at the core of our belief. And he, he was the one who created the world. So we, we're answering, for them, we have to change the order of the Torah because they, they need to start with Aleph. For us, we already know Aleph. We know Rashi doesn't make mistakes. That's not part of our discussion. We're just trying to figure out what he says. We know how Kaddish Baruch exists, and we know how Kaddish Baruch created the world. We just want to know how he created it. How did it begin? The, the Torah begins with Bez. It begins with Bereshis. Even today, right, there is many attempts to cast doubt on creation by creating questions and pondering other possibilities. And I don't want to get into a long Darwinian debate, but there's enough material out there for anybody who wants, who is interested. And again, in order to, to solidify our amuna, it's a mitzvah. Do that. Get clear. Get a clarity. But to me, if you look at the discussion, it boils down to this question. And the question is, do you want to believe or do you not want to believe? Uh, are you interested in finding that truth? that there is only one God and a creator of the world, or are you not interested in finding that truth and you're actually looking for other options? If you are approaching the creation of the world with the scientific method, then before you even start, God is not an option. He can't be measured. He doesn't show up on any device. So if you need to explain the creation of the world based on the scientific method, you've already declared before you started that God is not one of the options. And therefore, you will assume any possibility, however illogical and statistically improbable it might be, it, it doesn't make a difference because the God creating the world is not one of the options. So then, obviously, one of these needs to be the option. So there's no desire to believe. There's simply no desire to believe. There's no Aleph. You know, it's, you can't, there, there's no assumption there. There's no, no, that, that desire doesn't exist. And that's the true kafira. It's the real contradiction to Amun Apshuta. Amun Apshuta is based on our desire to believe. We want to believe that there is a God. Uh, and, and once we do have that want, that desire, then it actually becomes the most simple and easiest thing to prove. And it becomes the most simple and easiest thing to believe that Hashem created the world. And that's Bereshis Baralekim. Our Amunah proceeds before the Torah itself. It proceeds even before we start the Torah. We already have that Amunah. Rabbi Khan of Asserman Zatzal writes beautifully in his Sefer Kavit Aras. How amazing it is what Hashem expects of a 13-year-old boy. Right? You have a 13-year-old boy who becomes Bar Mitzvah and he becomes obligated in He has to believe that Hashem is one. Now he says there were great philosophers, Aristotle, others, that they, they ponder this and they came to the conclusion that there is no God. They, they're Kaifrim. He says those people, they were brilliant, they were philosophers and they didn't manage to figure this out. So how do we expect it of a 13-year-old boy? But he writes that the Chayvah Salvavas and others farm explained that it's not difficult to believe in Hashem. It's not complicated. It doesn't even take major brilliance. It's, it's obvious from the world around us. Every molecule of the world screams out that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created it. it. It's just if we don't want to believe, if we're looking away to deny Hashem's existence, then we can continuously ask questions and, and questions basic foundations that are kind of simple and, 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 and logical and, and easy to prove. And it's all because we don't want to believe. Then it becomes problematic. But if a person wants to believe, he's open to believe, and he wants to see a Kaddish Baruch in the world, it's, it's out there. It's right in front of everybody. So much so that a Kaddish Baruch expects it of a 13-year-old boy. So that's what we as Kalah Yisrael, our tire begins with a base. Aleph we know already. We just want to know, what did Hashem create first? Whereas for the, the nations of the world, 
the 72 sages, the 72 Chachamim had to switch. All of them unanimously agreed it has to be switched. We have to make it clear. We can't leave any room for doubt. They're going to start sticking in two deities, three deities, who knows what. It needs to be explained to them that there is a God, and there's one God, and He created the world. Have a good night and a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you, Rabbi Father.